Hey y'all, welcome to another episode of the All of You Whole podcast, hosted by me, Caroline Fossil, entrepreneur, wellness expert, author, and speaker. My goal is to help you build a healthy, connected, and intentional life that fulfills your greatest purpose. Go ahead and hit that pause button and then the plus button to subscribe to this show so you get more impactful content each and every week. We would also love it if you would leave a five-star rating and review. This helps people you and I don't even know find the show. And lastly, please share an episode you love with whoever you can. Sharing is caring, and that's how we continue to grow. And as always, I am forever grateful for your support. Today on the show, we chat with Sarah Buino. Sarah is a therapist, teacher, speaker, and the founder of Head Heart Therapy Incorporated. She's a licensed clinical social worker, certified addictions counselor, and certified Daring Way facilitator. Today on the show, we are talking all about healing generational trauma. (sighs) Generational trauma is a doozy. So we're going to talk about not only generational trauma, but all trauma and how we can heal it within ourselves. I think this is a fully applicable show to anyone and everyone because I really think that you can't really get through life without experiencing some level of trauma. And it is so important to be able to do the work to heal that trauma within ourselves. This is a super important show and I hope that you love it as much as I loved making it. So without further ado, let's welcome Sarah to the show. Welcome to the show, Sarah. I am so honored to be speaking with you today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So first, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are today? That's an entire hour of a conversation probably, but (laughs) I'm a psychotherapist, a social worker by training. I had a group practice for 10 years called Head Heart Therapy, and I sold it this year in 2023, which is really exciting. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I really don't want to be a boss ever again (laughs) because that was really challenging. Yes. I can imagine. I don't think I'd be a very good boss. No. (laughs) I have a few people, but other than that, like a whole team, that sounds like a lot. Yeah. A lot of folks who have been both parents and managers say it's very similar, except being a manager is worse because the love and the cuteness isn't there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The big eyes go away. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I have shifted into consulting and speaking under head heart business therapy. And truthfully, I'm still envisioning exactly what that's going to be. And yeah, but I really want to help therapists heal. And I want to do that in a collective level instead of just on Mm. an individual level with clients. So I still have a small caseload that I see maybe seven or eight people a week. Yeah. But most of my time right now is spent teaching and speaking and consulting. Yeah, that's super cool. I love that transition for you. I'm sure that's really cool. So today we're going to be talking all about generational trauma. So before we really dive into that, because that's a lot and that's heavy, let's back up and start with the very basics. So can you tell us what is your working definition of just general trauma, trauma in general? I like to use Gabor Mate's definition, Mm. which is essentially trauma happens inside you not necessarily something that happens to you. And it's whenever Mm -hmm. your system is overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. And so that's why one thing that could be traumatic for somebody may not be traumatic for somebody else, because Mm -hmm. it depends on your internal system, the resilience that you have, also Mm -hmm. the relationships that you have, the support you receive. So that's how I define it. 
Yeah, I love that definition because it's very personal. And like you said, that's why it's so easy to be judgmental about that wasn't a big deal. And it's we have no idea. We have no idea what was a big deal to one person and what's going to be a big deal to someone else. And I've also heard trauma is something that's too much too soon. Yeah, it's just yeah. overwhelming, which makes a lot of sense when I think of the trauma in my life of getting pregnant in mm-hmm. 22 and having a baby that was 30 weeks and three hours oh after being like, oh, my stomach kind of hurts. I just had a baby. Oh, <laughs> and so that gosh. was just like, it can also be a wonderful thing. Like the fact that I had this baby was fabulous and we love, right. but it was all a lot. <laughs> it's all a lot yeah, and yeah. too soon. So speaking specifically about generational trauma, ever since I read the book, it didn't start with you. Yeah. I have just been obsessed with the By idea. Mark Wolin. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's such a, it like blew, that book blew my mind in a way that not many other books ever really have. So I've been very fascinated with this idea. So I'm super excited to talk to you about it. Can you again, just give us a basic idea of what does generational trauma mean? So I live a lot in the spiritual world. And I think sort of my gift in this lifetime is to marry the scientific and the spiritual. Mm, So I'll be speaking from both ends of the spectrum. But I mean, I think what's cool about the epigenetic studies specifically Mm -hmm. that Mark Wallen cited is that it showed us that the pain that we carry isn't just ours. I think that it's like you were an egg in your grandmother. Yes. So everything that your grandmother experienced was then passed down to your mother. And I'm using the term mother. We'll just say we can also say birthing parent to be a little bit more gender fluid. But then that egg was then you. And so at least you've got those two generations. But then if we look at more indigenous cultures, they talk about generational trauma spanning seven generations, actually 14, seven generations back and seven generations ahead. And it's- Right. That's why studies show that that black women end up having more physical ailments because of Mm. the trauma, literally, that they went through, like specifically uterine trauma. And there was a lot of rape when black women were enslaved. So there's so many ways that trauma can be carried forward, whether it's mental health or even physical health. Yeah. So many ways. How do you distinguish if something that you're dealing with, let's say that I have anxiety, how do I distinguish if this anxiety started with me or if this anxiety is my mother's or my aunt's or my grandmother's that I essentially inherited? How do we make that distinction and how do we know if we're dealing with something that's generational? I think it's always generational and it's always personal. Mm. So when I'm working with my clients, I don't necessarily ask what happened in their ancestral history. If it's a person of color, I obviously have a a lot of working knowledge of what may have happened in their family lineage. I don't necessarily ask all of those questions. Sure. So what really matters in the moment is you are having anxiety. It's happening Mm. to you. And we can look at what has gone on in your life and why that became an adaptive survival strategy. So Mm. I was trained in a a modality called NARM, the neuroaffective relational model. Mm -hmm. And they don't talk about anxiety as a feeling. They talk about it as a process and Mm. usually a reaction to fear. Some sort of, whether it's fear of the environment, fear of Mm. not being in control. So 
whenever I hear somebody say anxiety, first of all, I ask a lot of questions because words are so incomplete and they cannot help us really understand a person's internal experience. Right. So I ask more questions about what that is. And and Mm -hmm. oftentimes we will get to either fear or sometimes anger or anxiety can actually be anger that the person Mm -hmm. is doesn't have the capacity to tolerate feeling. So we just, we have to ask a lot of questions and I don't think everybody is going to do a deep dive into their generational history, but if you do, it actually helps make a lot of sense Mm. and bring a lot of compassion to whatever it is that you might be experiencing in the here and now. Yeah, for sure. No, that's so cool and makes so much sense. So you said like in indigenous peoples, they think it's seven generations back, seven generations ahead, which is interesting. And also too, it makes me sad. I'm like, I feel like we lose a lot of this wisdom. Like I've never heard that before. But how in your practice, let's say, like how far back have you seen something be inherited? Do you feel like it's, Mm because I feel like the science we're seeing says when we study like rats, we can actually see Mm -hmm. it in DNA for three maybe four generations. But what do you see in your practice? How far back can it go? Again, if we're talking to, let's say, a a Black person who Mm. is uh, the descendant of enslaved people, we can't deny that that happened for them. I've also been studying and I can't really say studying because it's really more of an embodied, it's like an embodied study Mm. of anti-racism with Resma Menicum, who Mm. is a really amazing therapist and author. And Resma talks about also not just people of color, as he calls it, bodies of culture being hurt by the trauma that their ancestors experienced, but also Mm. white people were very violent to each other in, in the beginnings of civilization. And we've done it to ourselves. We've done it to other people. And in that way, it's all about power. And I think we've all been traumatized by power on some level Mm -hmm. and can recognize if we go back because it's interesting. My family, I guess most of my ancestry is German. Mm. And I think about, you know, what it must have been like to be an ancestor in Germany before it was even Germany and whatever, what I don't know, right? I don't know what struggles my actual ancestors went through, but I think about how challenging it must've been to not know where you're going to get your food, to not know if your home is going to be there when you get back, right? Right. There's just so many wars and atrocities that have happened over just all of our lifetimes. Mm -hmm. Everybody's experienced trauma. So again, it's the back then and it's the here and now. And it all matters. It all matters. And I feel like when you read about generational trauma, when you hear about it, it is a lot of times very extreme examples, like slavery in America. That's a very extreme, terrible, traumatic thing that happened. Or it's a genocide or it's a fill in the blank. But can it also be, rather than some of these maybe systemic, community-wide kinds of situations. Can it also be very personal? Like this one thing happened to my great grandmother and I'm experiencing that as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I'm in the process of writing a book right now called The Ordinary Trauma Project. And when I came into being a therapist, I knew I was trying to figure out 
the hell happened in my family because I felt crazy. I felt absolutely Uh bonkers nuts. I had a lot of emotions that I was not able to tolerate and resulted in a lot of really wackadoodle behavior in my life and lost a lot of relationships. And when I started becoming a therapist, it was like, what what happened to me directly in my family of origin? And, Mm. And then as I began to study trauma, I recognized like, oh, I'm a trauma survivor. And I never would have put that together. Even after going through grad school, it wasn't until I was 10 years into my career that I started understanding what trauma actually is. I think our general understanding in our cultures is we think of it as, oh, a car accident or Mm. you were at war or something, some life and death situation. But in the field, we call that shock trauma. So that Uh is, is often there's the life or death response there. Relational trauma is honestly what I think most people have gone through. And the For relational sure. trauma is literally just not getting your needs met by your environment, mm. right? And so sometimes it's directly about your caregivers. And then sometimes it, it's not any fault of your caregivers. I have a client right. who had amazing and wonderful parents, but there were a lot of circumstances around their childhood that created a lot of being unmet and being unseen. And I just want to tell all the parents listening out there who are probably going, oh my God, I've traumatized my child. <laughs> you might have. There's no way to control for all of it. Wait, and I also- I don't think so, Yeah. <laughs> What you're supposed to do is delight in your child, mm-hmm. is be able to see your child for their own unique person instead of as a reflection of you. And mm. the best way that you can do that is go to therapy yourself. I love that. Yeah. And the tempta- it's so tempting to make your child a reflection of you when yeah. they quite literally often are. Like your daughter yeah. looks just like you. Oh, I look you know? just like my mother. I know, right? Yeah. And so it's it's easy. It's so easy to do that. Okay, so let's say that let's say that we're just over here doing the work, okay? We are looking in our lineage. We find out and we're looking at our lineage and we're trying to figure out maybe where did this come from? Maybe we talk to our parents and ask them about their trauma. Maybe we try to get stories out of them. How do we really pinpoint it to one person? Because when I read the book, it didn't start with you. There were a lot of stories that were like insane. Hmm. You feel like you're cold and you have insomnia. You're 19 and your uncle died in the snow when he was 19. Very, very specific examples. Like how can we find out if maybe our trauma did stem from one individual person? And is that even important? Is it important to nail it down? No, it's not. It's not. I think At the end of the day, when you're coming to therapy and you're wanting to know why you are the way you are, it doesn't really matter what the story is as long as Mm. the story makes sense to you. And if I want to say that it feels right, but oftentimes it feels really challenging to hold. I think what we're really doing in therapy is supporting people's expanding capacity to tolerate the truth. Mm. When you talk about asking your parents stories about what happened, I I don't think our parents are are necessarily good reporters of what trauma they've experienced because I'm guessing you're probably a millennial. I'm the very tail end of Gen X. Yeah. Parents didn't have the socio-emotional understanding of the world the way that we do. Oh, 
trauma was not something that was talked about. Therapy was not something that was normal. When I ask, my parents have both passed away, but when I Mm. ask other family members of that generation what happened, I can, because of my training, I can make inferences about Mm. certain traumas that may have happened, but I'm never going to hear the full story. Mm. Literally, that was the chapter I was editing right now is thinking Mm. about, I don't know what happened in my parents' home, but I do know that there's addiction in my family. Mm. My mother's sister killed herself right before I was born. And there's a lot of mental illness. And that in and of itself tells me there was a lot going on in that home. And I also know too, just from a few stories that historically there was more going on as well. Yeah, totally. So how important is it Okay, so you're saying for yourself some of the story, right? I've definitely talked to friends who feel like, okay, I have anxiety and I feel like something happened to me, right? Like I've had multiple friends actually who are like, I feel like whether it was sexual assault or abuse or just I feel a trauma inside me, but like my brain 100% put up walls Those memories are not accessible to me, but maybe I want to know more. Yeah. Is it when our brains are doing this protection thing, is there a way to knock on the door and get inside? (laughs) And do you feel like that's even important? Is that an important part of the process or no? It is so wild that we're having this conversation today after my therapy session this morning. (laughs) It was literally about this. Exactly. No way. Yeah. So I believe that I am a survivor of childhood sexual abuse. Mm. I don't know who. I don't have any memories. Right. always known. I've always known. I And there are symptoms. Like when yes. I went to school and I started learning about sexual abuse, I remember seeing the symptoms that I have in the book, but I didn't have the memories to go with it. And in the 1980s, there was this really bad time of where psychotherapists were helping people, quote unquote, recover memories when it really they were implanting. Well, that's memories. That's the yeah, that's yeah. the rub, right? That's yeah. not what we want to do. So it's challenging, right? But the body knows. And there are things that have happened to me in the like process of healing all this trauma that tell me that something really bad happened. And also mm-hmm. I see a bunch of different healers, like an astrologer and I've yeah. been like alchemist and I saw a sure. psychic and Get it all. <laughs> yeah, because I want to know, I yeah. desperately want to know. Yeah. And what I told my therapist today is I said, it feels, I, I have a puzzle, a bunch of puzzle pieces, mm. but I don't have the cover of the box. And so I have yeah. no idea what picture I'm putting together. Yeah. And what she said to me was, you don't have the picture, but your body does have all of these pieces. Mm. And it is possible. Like when you have the picture in front of you, you're going from the top down. She said the process that we're undergoing is a bottom up process where your body is Uh. telling us the story. And I know that there's stuff there because I've been experiencing dissociation, which is not my normal trauma response. I've experienced a freeze recently in a sexual situation, also not my normal response. So that's my body saying, hey, something is not right. And totally. What I'll say to your friends and any listeners who are desperate to hear their story, like I get you, I feel you. And what I came to today with my therapist is that I've spent my entire life hating my body, absolutely Mm. 
hating it in all iterations, right? And I think many of us can look back at pictures and be like, oh my God, why didn't I appreciate my body back then when it was then. so young and cute and healthy? And, and when strong. I thought I was fat. When I thought then. I was fat, right? Yeah. I'm so thankful for the fat liberation movement yes. because yeah. I'm also trying to learn from those folks. Right. So what I recognize is because I've hated my body for so long, why would my body trust me to tell me everything? Mm. And wow. I got the message recently from another healer that a healing group that I'm a part of that you can't heal what you hate. And that really, yeah, that really jogged me into a recognition like, all right, I have got to figure out a way to at least practice appreciation for my body because we still have a lot of healing work to do and I'm not going to be able to do it with just my mind. Yeah. Wow. I need the moment for that to sink in. (laughs) That's amazing. So- how important how so i love that you're also on this journey of i'm pretty confirmed something happened to me and it sounds like you want to know what that is desperately as a part of your healing i'm just wondering is there like a discovery process to find out slash is there a healing that can take place if you never find out yeah absolutely absolutely The thing that I've learned about healing from sexual trauma is there is no roadmap. There Mm. is my therapist can only be with whatever I bring in that given day. And I'm not walking around getting triggered every single day. So it's not every session we have is not necessarily this deep trauma excavation. But I believe, again, it's really back to building the capacity to tolerate the truth. Mm -hmm. And a teacher of mine, the founder of NARM, Lawrence Heller, taught me about this Mahakala, which in Buddhism, the Mahakala is the protector of the Dharma. Mm -hmm. And they're a very fierce beast. And the Dharma is the truth, right? Mm -hmm. And Larry was essentially explaining that the closer we get to the truth, the more challenging it is. And with the Mahakala, the more fierce the beast becomes. And so that's another way that I know I'm getting closer to an understanding of what happened to me, or at least like being able to reconcile it within my body because of the reactions that my system is doing to try to protect me. And my healing guides have said that I'm not supposed to know what happened. And the realization that I had today was, I don't think I'm supposed to know now because I haven't built the capacity. So interesting. I'm such a, even though I really want to divorce myself from linear healing as progress, I also am now like, okay, now my goal is to build the capacity because I want to know what happened. So this is just the way our silly human brains work, especially as Americans in a capitalistic culture. For sure. I know we want it to be easy and we want it to be on our time frame, like right Right. now. To make sense. Okay. So as a psychotherapist, what does a session look like someone who is healing trauma? What does, I know you said there's not a roadmap. I'm sure everybody is very different, but are there kind of general frameworks? Yeah. What does that look like? There are probably a trillion healing modalities especially for trauma. So I can't tell you what every single session looks like. I can most speak closely to NARM because that's what I'm trained in and that's what I receive as a client. So a NARM session begins with the question, what is it that you want for yourself today? Mm. And 
what we're essentially hoping a client will be able to recognize is some sort of state of being, right? So not necessarily, Mm. I want a million dollars today, or I want to be happy, but more of, I want to experience peace. I Mm. want to experience calm. I want to have freedom from these judgments I have of myself. So the therapist can guide the client to this understanding of what it is that they want for themselves. Mm. And then Once we find out what we want for ourselves, we look at what gets in the way of what you want for yourself. And oftentimes that leads us to more of the trauma-laden material, even if it's not a traumatic experience. Like I can think of, I can speak very vaguely about a client that I have who wants to be more in touch with her creativity and we find what gets in the way of it is, is her mom's really judgmental voice. Right. And so we can, yeah. So we can go back and look at those moments and recognize why that judgmental voice is there. Right. That Mm. developed as a survival strategy because all children need to stay connected to their parents, right? So this is Mm -hmm. part of the relational trauma that we need that attachment literally to survive as infants and also as young children. And so in the face of criticism, we children shut ourselves down because we can't choose our own authenticity. Mm -hmm. We can't really allow ourselves to tolerate feeling angry or disappointed by our parents. We just haven't built that capacity yet. Yeah. And so as we move through life, we then continue those survival strategies against ourselves that are all developed in very early childhood as a result to misattune attachment. So, you know, it's really interesting in an armed session. What often happens is we can begin to appreciate the survival strategy for what it is. And Mm. then we make space for feeling the emotions that we didn't get to feel. Mm. And often they're either anger or grief. And the client that I'm thinking of right now does such a beautiful job of allowing herself to really deeply feel these emotions. Mm. And then by the end of the session, after she's felt those feelings, we have this process of sort of integration where we can look at the original. So, you know, you said you wanted to be creative, but that judgment was getting in the way. And then when we look at it at the end, usually it's, oh, isn't that interesting? I was judging myself. That's not present right now. I can access Mm. the part of me that knows I'm not going to create perfect art or whatever it is. So a NARM session, like even just one session can be extraordinarily transformative when the client is really able to get in touch with their emotions and allow themselves to feel them. Yeah. But a lot of times too, I guess I also want to say that because I have a lot of clients that struggle to feel And in those relationships, we're really building the capacity to feel, Mm. to tolerate their own sadness or anger or aliveness, really. No, so true. I just listened to a Glennon Doyle podcast, We Can Do Hard Things, that was all about the Enneagram. It's a two-part series. I I love. What are you? I'm a seven. Okay, cool. I'm a three. And I guess my in my tri-type, seven is the next. Yeah. Yes. So much about Enneagram. And so basically it was like such a deep dive. I think the series started, it's like July 11th and 12th maybe. Okay. I will go back back. and listen. (laughs) It was like, here's the deal. I love Enneagram and I know a lot about Enneagram. And I was like, this is next level, especially when it's condensed into a short period of time. So anyway, they're talking about the seven and basically you've been told you're allowed to have this half of the emotions. And I'm like, yes, yes, I have. And yes, I always am like brighter side but the silver lining and but let's be happy and so you being like 
And we have the ability and capacity and permission to like feel these feelings. I'm like, what's that like? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's like the Enneagram 7's work is to, yeah, feel the whole range of emotions because that's not our tendency or our survival right. strategy. And can I ask what comes up for you? This is a little vulnerable. So you yeah. can like totally cut me off if you don't want no. to. But what comes up for you when you recognize there's an invitation to feel anger or to feel I know. sadness? I don't like those ones. <laughs> right. I'm like, I choose to opt out. Yeah. Yes, do you, I do. Can I slow you down a little bit yeah. just to ask more? So sure. what do you notice in your body? You can say that I want to opt out. I don't want to do it. Do you notice yeah. anything internally? Yeah, let me think. Yes, I feel like the emoji that's like this. Yeah, the crossed hands. Oh, yeah. <laughs> crossed, crossed arms. My yeah. body's just, no, yeah. that's not what we do here. And having that knowledge about myself. Okay, it's funny because the Enneagram is very much like your, the, the most beautiful, wonderful thing that you bring to the world is also your kryptonite. Yes. And so there are millions of situations where like my positivity is wonderful and- yes. I am a light to other people and I am so yes. fun. I'm just like, <laughs> and so that spontaneous spontaneity yeah. and all those things like are very wonderful. But also there are the times where the need from someone else is like, feel my pain with me. Yes. Right. Yes. And like, especially a four. Yeah, man. Yeah, they want you to yes. feel all the things. And yes. that is definitely like a reach for me. We had a yeah. best friend who wanted to adopt a foster child and the foster child ended up going back to mom. And we knew this baby very intimately for two whole years. And I told my best friend, like, I'm not really good at sad things and I'm going to try mm -hmm. really hard to be good at it. <laughs> for you. Yeah. And there were times that we just cried. Yeah. And that is like not <laughs> that is not my natural state, yeah. but and it's so hard for me, but I can do it when I work really hard and when I like like your enneagram the work. That is my work in life is to feel the whole range of emotions and also speaking of parenting before not trying to also force my children to then yes. we function on this half your anger is not acceptable here or i don't like it when you act that yes. way it's i not only have to show all of my emotions but also be mature enough to not be scared of the latter half yes. of the emotions with like yeah. my husband or my kids i absolutely. don't even know how we started talking about enneagram but yeah man oh no, absolutely we, we all have so much work to do and i'm guessing too you, and you don't have to go into the history but i'm guessing yeah. at some point in your childhood it was a survival strategy for you to stay in the light positive emotions yeah it's funny because with yeah like with enneagram i'm pretty sure you're not born with it, right? Like it's developed. I don't from even your, know, but I'm I think, guessing. I, think I can't imagine. Like, There's certain yeah. temperaments that like yeah. if you have more energy, you're probably going to end up being like a three or a seven mm -hmm. or a one. And totally. if you have less energy, you'll be a yeah. nine or a five or a four, right? Something like that. Yeah. But I'm sure that nurture has a lot to do with it. I know. Yeah. And so it's funny because when I read in depth about mm -hmm. the seven, it is it, the childhoods described are very dark. <laughs> the sevens are avoiding pain. Yeah. And 
Yeah, I just had a very lovely childhood and my parents are still to this day very lovely. And I definitely wouldn't be like, wow, marked by trauma. And it is interesting because I'm sure it's a survival standpoint. I'm sure it's a survival strategy and tactic. Um, But yeah, I definitely don't. I'm not like- You haven't discovered it yet. Yeah, like it's very specific to the X, Y, Z. So anyway, but yeah, very curious. Okay, so I would love to know how we break the cycle of trauma. Do your own work. Yeah, is the answer, do, do the work. That's it, do your own work. And I feel like this is a phrase that gets thrown around a lot. So I would love to know when you say do your work, what does that look like? <laughs> what, how do we do it? How do we do it effectively? I'm probably going to end up getting woo about it and yep. expansive and then go sure. down to the individual. But I think it's consciousness raising, right? Mm, because yeah. when I think about generational trauma and like we talked about earlier, like our parents are probably boomers mm-hmm. and they were born in the maybe late forties, early fifties. Yeah. They didn't have the socio-emotional understanding that we do. Yeah. Their parents came from the great depression and world war one. Yeah. Right. And all the trauma that came from that. When, when you think about humanity in terms of the hierarchy of needs, Mm -hmm. when you're just focused on survival, which if you think about what it must have been like, we were struggling in the pandemic in 2020, but think about what it was like in 1920, right? Lord help us. The first, or was it 20 or 1918, right? The, The first flu pandemic without having access to internet, without being able to connect, without knowing what's going on, without having a scientific understanding, Right. People were just trying to survive. Right. When you're trying to survive, you do not have the luxury of knowing your inner self. You just Mm, don't. So when we think about the way the generations have improved our own safety, we have more capacity to go up the, the hierarchy of needs and be able to look internally to do our own healing. It is about consciousness raising. And on an individual level, I think it's about ego development. So we think of ego psychologically. If somebody out in the world just says, oh, you have an ego, we think of it as negative, right? We usually think to say you have an ego is bad or wrong. Like Mm -hmm. you're not supposed to have an ego. But in the psychological community, it's simply your cohesive sense of self. And many of us, because of our intergenerational trauma or our relational trauma in our childhoods, build a false self. Right. Live out the world through that false self. And so if we talk about the Enneagram, the false seven is just this fun loving person who's bypassing any negative emotion, right? Right. A fully integrated seven is somebody who knows I have a tendency to want to live over here in the light, fluffy flowers and puppy dog world. But I also know I have access to the darker things if I need to. And Mm. yes, I love to be spontaneous, but also I am in a relational whatever, and so I need to be able to adhere to a schedule. That is being able to have a strong sense of your own self when you can stay connected to what's true to you and be adaptable in other situations. And the only way that we can do the ego work, honestly, is to look at the part of ourselves that we don't like, the parts Mm -hmm. of ourselves we feel ashamed of, or we feel are wrong or bad. And 
it, Carl Jung talked about it as integrating mm-hmm. the shadow, right? It's being able to, and, and from the NARM perspective, what we're doing is recognizing these parts of ourselves as survival strategies. And instead of shaming ourselves or judging ourselves, being able to say, oh, this is here for a reason and I can choose to use it or not use it if I want to. I used to be extraordinarily emotionally labile, right? Mm. And for a long time, I thought this is just how I am because it's how I had always been and I didn't know any better, right? Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I got into more of a psychodynamic type of therapy that my therapist was able to mirror back to me. So you think some of this behavior is okay. I specifically remember I had a friend and I don't even know what was going on in my life, but it was very tumultuous in my early 20s. Mm-hmm. And I had called my friend and left her this voicemail of me like screaming and crying and carrying on. And the friend ended up breaking up with me. And I was livid. I just thought, you're a terrible person. How could yeah. you possibly leave me when I'm at this moment of distress? Right. The therapist said back to me, so you think it's okay to behave that way? You think it's okay to leave a message like that? And while that was really painful to receive, it was also the proper mirroring I didn't get in my family of origin, right? Mm. My family of origin, I got, my mom is actually a two, but my mom was very much, everything has to look nice and pretty. And why are you feeling sad? You shouldn't make, it was more about other people, right? You shouldn't make other people feel sad by having your own emotions. So you can only feel the good emotions. And that was just invalidating. But right, if my mom would have said to me, it's okay to feel how you feel, but let's not bring the drama to other people. That yeah. would have been a whole different experience. Mm. So having the correct mirroring and someone who can guide you through being with these parts of ourselves that aren't mm. necessarily cute or pretty, that's how we begin to build ego strength. Yes. And then we can tolerate. So I think about being a parent. I literally did not want to be a parent because I did not want to fucking have to do this work. I'm sorry. I don't know if I can cuss here, but I did. Go for it. But as a business owner, we talked about this at the beginning. I was confronted with all of the parts of myself that I didn't. And I, and because I was the boss and I really wanted to run a business with integrity, I had to take an honest look at what I was doing wrong. And that process for me built a lot of tolerance. So Mm. now I obviously still get hurt, but I'm much less sensitive than I was in my twenties and even in my thirties, because now I know, I know the parts of me that are gross and not fun. And so when it comes out, I'm a little bit embarrassed, but I can be like, all right, all right. That little child that just wanted to be seen or wanted to be appreciated. And I acted a little passive aggressively or whatever it was comes out, but it doesn't push me into that spiral of shame that basically encompassed my whole life up until the last four years. Seriously, don't we all shame? What a friend. So do you feel like this is a process that requires a professional? Yes. And so everyone needs a professional. Yeah. I love that answer. Yeah. I I think there's probably a lot of therapists out there that would disagree with me. Sure. Yeah. But therapy is not about dealing with problems. If we think about therapy as I want to be my best self, then every, of course, everybody needs a professional because not everybody's going to be able to do the depth of work and we're hurt in relationships. So we heal in relationship. Mm -hmm. And so- Does everybody need a therapist? No. But if you really want to do the deep work, yes. And I'll just say here too, not every therapist has done this deep work and can support their clients in it too. Mm. 
What's the best thing to look for? You clearly do this NARM therapy. Yeah. Yeah. I would just, I would look for either a body-based therapy Mm. or a psychodynamic sort of related therapy. Any relational therapy is going to heal these sorts of deeper wounds. Our field is really pushing a lot of behavioral modalities right now. And while those are evidence-based and they absolutely have their place, it's, I don't think it's the only thing. And I don't think- I, I, there, and I'm going to call out Charles Small, who is a friend of mine that I went to grad school with, who yeah. is a CBT therapist. And I will send this to him because he'll be so proud of me. <laughs> there are CBT therapists out there who do really deep work, but I, I and sorry, Charles, but I'm ju- I am going to judge the modality. I don't, I just don't <laughs> think every CBT therapist does right. that. I, I think, yeah. Because unfortunately, what happens with our degree, at least in social work, you go to school for two years and then you practice for two years and then you never have to have supervision again. You right. do CEUs, yeah. but the learning yeah. that we do can be very minimal. And I oh, see people sure. all the time, oh my God, last minute CEUs. I'm like, if you're not learning all the time, I don't want you as a therapist. For sure, sure. So yeah. I think if you're somebody who really wants to do this deep work, just ask their therapist like what they do in their own therapy. Mm. And some, if a therapist finds it threatening, then that might not be the therapist for you. If yeah. I had a client that literally asked me, what is your own therapy? I'd be like, oh my God, I'm so excited. And I wouldn't tell them my deep, dark secrets. Of course, of course. But I'll tell them, yes, I see a therapist weekly. We're doing this NARM. Is, I'm yeah. working on my my intergenerational trauma, XYZ. Yeah. And yeah. I continue to do the work so I can continue to help you. Because if a therapist doesn't believe in therapy enough to also themselves go to therapy. Yeah. That's probably a red flag. (laughs) I don't think, I really don't think that it's, that they don't believe in it. I think Mm -hmm. a lot of people are scared. Again. Yeah. Of what they're going to find for sure. Right. For sure. Tolerating the capacity to know the truth. Right. Mm. I think that I'm sure this is a little glib, but I'm just going to guess that most people who go into our profession are traumatized in some way. Right. Yeah, yes. And many people would also say that they're not. And mm. I just, I think we are not doing a service to our clients if we're not right. investigating that yeah. and really getting clear on what it is that brought us to the profession. For sure. Because, yeah, I feel like our pain a lot of times becomes our purpose. And so, yeah, uh, unfortunately, I do feel like a lot of therapists have trauma because guess what? We all have trauma. <laughs> we all have trauma. And so, yeah, I think you're right. Those are really great tips. Okay, let me ask you the last question that I ask everybody. So when you're sure. at the end of your life and you're looking back, what will a successful life look like to you? And wait, let me pause before you answer because I'm yeah. especially excited about hearing this answer because I feel like you're both an Enneagram 3 and a therapist. So I just feel like this is going to be a solid answer. <laughs> it's the Enneagram three in me really wants to say like work because right. I'm such a high achiever. And right, it's, exactly. I, I, truthfully, I'm really grappling with this right now as to I define myself by my work, but I'm a therapist, right? I'm a healer. I am yeah. a teacher. It's a little different than I'm a corporate America, like Joe Schmo, like going to work for Amazon, right? So uh, no, no judgment to people who are working for Amazon or in corporate America, but yeah. That it's a little different values wise, but I'm also a Libra rising and relationships are my currency for yeah, sure. I love that. So, and I've actually thought about this, right? I'm 44, so I'm pretty solidly in midlife. And if I died today, please God, no, because I feel like I have a lot more work to do. But if I died today, I would feel really good about the legacy that I've left mm-hmm. because of my relationships and because of 
the healing work that I've done on myself yeah. that then has extended to the people that I teach and the people that are my clients, hopefully people that will be my consulting clients and other people that I work with along the way too. Yes. Love it so much. Thank you so much for your wisdom and for yeah teaching us today. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thank you so much, Sarah, for having this very eternally important conversation with us today. I think that we all want to go to therapy after this conversation, so thank you for spurring that on within us. Listeners, if you want to hear more from Sarah, please check out all the links in the show notes. You can also find links for the book I mentioned, It Didn't Start With You, and other important things in this conversation of healing generational trauma. Thanks so much for listening, and I will see you next week.